Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. No one knows where it began, and no one knows when it will end. But every single being in this realm knows war. War is chaos, but in their hands it's more. They attack with cold and methodical precision, as though they mean every death, every scar, and every orphaned child. They are not fighting to survive as we are. They are fighting for the win. For glory, for balance. Seeing the atrocities of the balances indirectly through the imaginings of words can never pale in comparison to seeing them firsthand. The experience could be likened to an unfeeling, to non-existence. Perhaps, in the shadows of our enemies, you seem insignificant and, if it were up to them, you would be. However, I am here to say, you are not. The balances strive only to kill you and step over you to the next one in line. With you in their path, they are one step further from the next, one step further from your friend, one step further from your family. You are the most important piece in this fight, and joining is the right thing to do. Hi, I'm Kel of Awfully Queer Heroes. What you just heard is a portion of lore from my current Kickstarter. It was recorded and edited by the good people of Control Group, who can be found on Twitter. The Kickstarter is a level 1 to level 20 campaign, where you fight as the forces of chaos against the oppressive forces of order and balance. It has new playable races, merging with elementals, a fully randomised tower, and so much more. A link to the campaign can be seen in the description below, and I hope to see you there. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So today we are going to be talking because once again, Wizards of the Coast has uh, has dropped a bomb on us uh, in the middle of the week, like they are like they are want to do, much like they did when they pulled the uh, the fancy mage classes out of the Strixhaven book. They kind of dropped that as an afterthought a couple months ago, but they did it again to us uh, during D anD D Celebration Week and have uh, have made the announcement that a substantive change 
to Dungeons and Dragons is coming in 2024. So we are going to break that down uh, and talk about uh, what we think is going to be in it, what we hope is in it, what we hope is not in it, all that sort of stuff. And I am joined tonight, as always, by my inimitable co-host, Lee Wanika. Lee Wanika, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Like, this is a thing that every content creator has been salivating over for probably the last year and a half. Yeah. When, when, when. We'll get into your saliva in a minute. We'll get into your saliva in a minute because we also... Click, click, boom. Because <laughs> you dropped that's... a bomb on me. Oh, that's... Baby. <laughs> I hit you in two. It's going to be that kind of night It's going to be that kind of night It is. It's a, I'm feeling punchy. A good friend got me talking about Southie uh, while I was on break at work today. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. And uh, now Josh is going to introduce that good friend who has gotten me talking about <laughs> Exactly. Southie. That's right. Because he because... happens to be here with us. Should I just introduce myself? Instant. Should I just yeah. do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you can shut him up, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we have Steve Pugh from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast on with us tonight to go ahead and help us talk about the craziness that is Wizards of the Coast D&D 5. Uh, Steve, how are you this fine evening? I'm doing good. I'm actually well rested now, uh, which is <laughs> really nice after the last couple long nights. And it's stupid excited and optimistically cautious about the new edition that's coming out. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. I think that that is, uh, that is kind of where everybody sits, uh, is kind of in that excited because we 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 know what we know what we want to see, uh, and you know a, a little a little anxious that that they may not get it right, but that's okay. We're gonna we're gonna dive in there with with optimism and with uh, with hope that uh, that they do uh, exactly what we want to do. And I uh, you know I appreciate you hanging out with me until uh, until yeah, late no. on Tuesday night uh, uh, was while, I was, uh, while I was busy uh, playing aliens, killing you all off. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be a good <laughs> spoilers. time. Spoilers, spoilers. None of the PCs have died yet, so this is pretty good. Like you know, I've done nothing but kill. NPCs. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, we'll get into that. Uh, there'll be a big announcement on on aliens coming up soon, so uh, be watching for that. All right, let's uh, let's dive in here. So uh, once again, Wizards of the Coast has announced uh, formally and officially during D anD D Celebration Week that Dungeons and Dragons version five. Well, sorry, they have not said specifically that version 5 is getting a facelift. What they have announced is basically a substantive change to the D&D rules coming out in 2024. So let's talk about that first, and and I'll let let our guest here start. So, Steve, what do you think? You've watched the announcement. You've parsed the text. What do you think they're talking about here? What do you think is happening? So I, I thought it was interesting, their their word usage starting off, because they said evolution, too. So that that was their word. And I'm, I'm, I, I approach this with the mentality of a Warhammer 40K player. And anybody who's ever played 40K has that PTSD where they've seen you get a different <laughs> edition every like two years, spend $500, and it's it's a hit or miss. Now, that being said, I've been very optimistic and energetic about what Dungeons and Dragons is doing because everything that they've been releasing, we'll look at it from the last two to three years, has moved it in a positive manner, looking at uh, Eberron, looking at Tasha's Cauldron, even when they revamped Curse of Strahd. Everything they've done, I feel like they're doing it in favor of the player and the DM and 
not, yes, it is a business. Yes, it is money, money, money. They have to make it. But the way they're approaching things, it, it, they, they left it very vague. They, they said, hey, we're giving a facelift. Hey, we're, this is what we're doing. They didn't say if it was 5.5. They didn't say if it was going to be six. And, they get, and they're giving us time to brace for it, too. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of my first question. And I, I totally agree with you. That's certainly our podcast began with the release of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Like that was our first set of episodes was talking about – we talked about Tasha's for probably four or five episodes because of how good book. that book was, right? Um, and in particular, we mentioned this in uh, in the episode that we did about the Paladin subclasses. We mentioned about how the subclasses – in general, that are in Tasha's are so much better than particularly the earlier subclasses that you find in the Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide. Mordenkainen's tends to have some good ones. Uh, we found that Skag has good ones. Theros has good ones. Tasha's has great ones. I like the Soul Knife Rogue. The Soul Knife Rogue from that. It yeah. was such a unique experience for the Rogue. It actually made them a little more of a threat. Oh, yeah. yeah I totally. feel like it, it wasn't about the skill checks as much, yep. but, you know, different. I'm on record. That that is absolutely one of my favorite subclasses in the entire game. Like, in the entire game. Everything I love. Rogues, psychic powers, and Tasha's just brought it out. So, I mean... And so, I have to think that... Uh, so, uh, what I was going with that is that I totally agree with you that they have worked really hard to put out player-centric rules in at least these last six books that have come out uh, until we got the Ravenloft book. And the Ravenloft was very much a dungeon master's book. It was very much a storyteller's book. As with Witchlight. As with Witchlight, right? I mean, Witchlight like says up and down at the front of it, if you are not a storyteller, do not read this book. Because it's basically, it's a campaign module. So they don't want players reading the campaign module, right? Now, that being said, their player-centric content, I'll, I'll go on record, their player-centric content is better than their DM-centric content right now. Like, the Ravenloft book was fine. Tasha's was better. It was just it was just flat out better. Here's the problem with that. And in my I'm not to cut you off, but my only thing I would say about with Ravenloft, Ravenloft's trying to make it hey, how do you make Barovia scary? And if you already have that knowledge and it it's it it does try to help, I feel like they give DMs a lot more it's a bigger sandbox for them to yeah. play in and they don't want to restrict them. And I, I think it's why it's easier to do player content versus, hey, we don't want to make you linear. That's really fair. They are they're taking the sides off the box and letting letting storytellers and DMs go. What did you think of Candlekeep Mysteries? I am enjoying it, playing it, and I think there's a lot of liftable good stuff in it. I have it, but I just haven't had a chance to play around with it. No, Candlekeep is great. Is Can, it? Candlekeep is fantastic. I mean, we've been running the actual we've been running an actual play on the channel where we're rolling through well, we rolled through the first few missions of Candlekeep before uh, our own campaign impulses took over and started pushing it in a different direction. Um, and now we're we're kind of shifted from Candlekeep to Witchlight. But Candlekeep is fantastic. Uh, those missions are very, very playable. They are very well written, um, and they're liftable. They're absolutely liftable, and that's that's the thing that story that's the thing that storytellers really want is can I take this material that you're giving me and put it someplace else, put it in my world? Can I take a candlekeep mission and bring a mystery into onto my table in my world without having to bring all the baggage that comes along with running in Forgotten Realms? Right. All that to go ahead and say that, like, I think with so many books coming out, Wizards of the Coast is smart enough not to shoot themselves in the foot and pull a Warhammer where. So it is September. They just put out Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Fizzbin's book comes out 
next month. You've got the Strixhaven book coming out in November. They're not putting anything out in December. And then the big box set comes out in January. And they've already said that in 2022, two new um, classic campaign settings are coming out. Not to mention all the other little side stuff that they're coming out for DMs and uh, beyond and ridiculous amount of stuff. I can't say too much about about what's happening next year, but I can tell you we're going to enjoy it and we're going to talk about it because it's going to be there's going to be it's going to be good stuff. All that to go ahead and say though, like they're going to keep pumping out content. They, I don't know that they're going to keep it up with one book a month because that's probably a little bit too much. But I'd be willing to bet that we'll be seeing books at least every two months throughout the rest of 2022. Correct me if I'm, but before this, before the last, we'll say the last two years, how often were they putting out a campaign, a book? It was like one, one or two three a year. At the year general. Yeah, three, maybe three or four. Yeah, it was basically like Christmas, summer. Yeah, there's basically a campaign book in the fall some kind of campaign book in the spring and then some kind of source book in the summer is effectively what they were doing. And it it could have been upped by one or two here or there. I think that like, and they may have doubled up on some, like you may have got diary of mad mage or something like that immediately following something else. And then who, who knows when uh, the subsequent DMS guild official stuff comes out after, because there's some official stuff on DMS guild after some of the, uh, after some of the products come out as well. So, I mean, the general expectation prior to the last year and a half, two years, was three big books a year. Then last year, we got the the word that they were going to go to four. We got the word this spring that they were going to bring in a fifth book that's going to end up being Fizbin's. And then I believe I read somewhere, and I don't quote me on it, but I'm confident I read somewhere that they added a sixth book for next year. So case the point I was trying to make with that is we have ample amount of materials that is official stuff, not including anything unofficial that by the time 2024 comes here, like they'll have us very much taken care of that. If like the next two couple years, so let's say they slow down and only come with one or two books, we're going to be covered. I mean, we'll have plenty of material, but I can't imagine. I honestly just can't imagine. And I, I, this kind of is where I'm coming down on like the 5.5 versus six question, right? I honestly just can't imagine that they are going to continue pumping out books in the quantity that they're doing that are based on the rule on the 5e rule system and then come out with something that is so wildly different that they have to call it sixth edition. I think they're going to be a 5.5. I, I very much think it's going to, I, I am willing to battle for that bridge that it's going to be a 5.5. And I know we discussed this back when we were doing the alien RPG. Like my theory is because of not just including book content that they're pop, pumping out, but the other materials, the miniatures, uh, the warlock tiles, the the overall experience that they're trying to immerse with it, as well as trying to implement. I mean, D and D Beyond has become more of a staple item. They're trying to clean up house that they're putting out so much stuff because they also have Unearth Arcana, which is that that's their beta, that's their alpha beta, and they're coming up with so many different things. They have the sandbox open to a lot of different people that are pumping in a lot of different ideas. And so they, I think they've just, this is what, 10, 11 years now that 5e has been. Yeah. I mean, rise of Tiamat, which was one of the first adventure modules to come out in the D and D five that came out in 2014. Oh, maybe I'm, I did my math wrong. And I'm thinking because of 2024, the release of 5e, 
was 2014. So at 2024, that'll be 10 years. So that's a long time for an edition. Five. D&D 5 was announced in 2012. 2012. Oh, so it was announced in 2012. That's it was what announced it was. in 2012. The first rule books came out. Uh, public playtesting began in May, and the books were released on July 3rd, 2014. So by 2024, it'll be 10 years of fifth edition. That's that's a long time. That's a and, and the technology and the way everything's working right now, it seems it would be so weird for them not to be like, okay, we need to clean up. We may have overwhelmed ourselves a little bit. So how can we streamline this a little bit more? Yeah. So here's my thought on this. I truly believe it'll be a 5.5, but honestly, they could call it 6.0 and I wouldn't care. I think it's going to be compatible with 5e. I don't think whatever they end up with, it's going to not be compatible. And so whatever they end up titling it, it works. I believe that because it's going to be compatible, no matter what they call it, it effectively will be a 5.5. I think we're going to have the same basic structure, but they may change a few things. That new book, if let's say it did some of the things that we talked about. This is a guess or something I'm hoping they do. If they take all of the classes and put all of the class features at the same level, so the features happen equally every class, that works. Then you take all your subclasses and have those features happen at the same levels, which already happens within the subclasses, but also within the classes, I think that'll be better. That will allow for the Strixhaven style thing where you can have a subclass that's good for any class to be functional because you're not losing out because you put it on a barbarian versus putting it on a fighter or what have you. I think that's the kind of changes we'll see. So the base mechanics, the D20, the advantage, disadvantage, the greatest mechanic in my lifetime that has come since the original game isn't going to change. I think they will fix issues with spells like just make everything that five foot base so we don't have things that are coming out in weird intervals. Maybe we'll get some better idea over low light, dark vision or whatever perhaps they'll figure out a way with inbounded accuracy to give us some sort of master weapon. Perhaps they'll add one or two more skills or some moderate level of skill advancement. So we we already have skills, which is one point plus proficiency. We already have expertise, which is one point plus double, which is basically double your proficiency. Perhaps we'll have some other thing or some intermittent thing between expertise and having a skill journeyman forever or master skillsman or whatever the case may be. So maybe you get a plus one and the proficiency. So you get a little edge. So, or they'll introduce a mechanic that says, Hey, from now on, there are going to be some challenges that you can't even roll the die unless you have training in the skill. That makes sense. So I, I, and I think all of those work within the 5e framework. Yes, it's a little bit more crunchy, but it's easy to leave off if you don't want to do it. Uh, But it's also exceptionally useful for advancing the game and making a little bit better. Look, we're three old heads when it comes to D&D and role playing, (laughs) right? We, we, as much as the streamlined game is great from a DM standpoint, I can prep faster. I can run faster. I have less questions. I have less issues. We all have at some point clamored for a little more complexity, a little more nuance. That's why we look to systems like Aliens. We look to systems like Powered by the Apocalypse. While they may not be crunchy, 
they are ha- they have that nuance. So we'll be looking for this new version to have that type of thing. And I, I think too that I think that what we have to be careful of is asking for nuance without getting more uber specificity in the uh, the content that we're getting. I mean, we talk about this on this on the the again our subclass episodes all the time, where it's like, man, you know, the Horizon Walker sounds so awesome. And I have no idea when I am ever going to use it. Or if I roll up a Horizon Walker and we're not in a different planar environment, sucks to be me because none of my powers are any good if I'm not in this specialized environment. That's a that's a tough tightrope to walk where it's like, we want more nuance. We want a little bit more crunch. I know that a lot of people complained about them in, in version three, but I liked the feet trees where, you know, if uh, if I take feet X, Y, Z, that open, you know, if I take power attack, then I can get cleave and then I can get great cleave as opposed to kind of every feet kind of at the same level with some prerequisites, but for the most part, every feet's at the same level. I think that that, that, that allows for less specificity in a bad way. Right. As so as opposed to making make as opposed to pigeonholing characters, um, it just doesn't allow them to be kind of as robust as they could in third edition. And I think that your point about 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 skills also uh is a valid one on, on that point too. So just to kind of continue my thought here, I think your your point about having some way to advance skills beyond proficiency bonus, because proficiency bonus isn't all or nothing. It's everything advances at the same time or it doesn't. There's no sort of like, well, I'm really focusing on investigation this level, and so I'm only going to be leveling investigation. If you take all the classes and you level out when their features come in, that's going to build in dead levels effectively because not every class gets something every level. You put in the the subclass features, that's going to fill in some of those dead levels. Every class has a couple dead levels, but if you just took – each dead level and said, now you get a point towards any skill you're trained in. I would be happy with that. But why do you need that? Why do you need, why can't a dead level just be a dead level? No, and, and not to like to, 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 to stomp on your thing, but like at, at different classes, not everything is equal, you know? Right. And it could be, I'm just, again, trying to find a way to put in the mechanic to improve skills. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, you get a different skill. Problem is the skill, available skill trees are so small at this point. For the sake of clarity, that adding additional skills is exceptionally powerful. And also, you could run into, if you're a bard or a rogue, the possibility of actually having them all or as close to all of them as you would ever need. Yeah. So that doesn't work. So then having levels within your skills becomes the next thing. If you can't have more skills, then you have to do levels within the skills. So my fighter is exceptionally good at riding horses. And I think there's a way to do that. I, I don't think the mix is, uh, is there currently, but that's something they could fix. It's something I hope they do. But it's, it's, like, it's like the knowledge skills. Like d- dropping the knowledge skills was a detriment to the game. Like, you know, you, there's, there's no more way to mechanically track knowledge and lore on your sheet. Uh, I think that, that particularly like when you're talking about skills, like knowledge and lore and stuff like that is, is poorly represented. Hearth knowledge versus book learning are two entirely different things, so much so that the fact that they are covered by history check in both cases, or arcana, or survival, or nature, is 
not good to me. Like that doesn't feel right to me. I make it work within the framework of the game and when I'm running my table and I work around it by the way I converse and talk about things. I think the uh, currently optional rule of taking any skill and allowing a player to say, I wish to apply stat X to it and it makes sense. I think that's something that could come in, except I think it should be structured. I think strength applies to mo- man- could apply to many of the skills, but I don't think you can strength a, not, uh, a history check, right? So I think they should have the skills and say these abilities could apply, you know, and, and I think that works. I think that's a mechanic that they should canonize. I mean, effectively, I do that at my table. Somebody says, look, I want to acrobatics this thing, and I think it's margin reasonable. If it's, if it's marginally reasonable, they do it at disadvantage. If it's reasonable, they do it straight up. If it's the best damn idea I've ever heard, they do it at advantage. Again, taking it use, making good use of that awesome disadvantage advantage mechanic. But I think there's a way to kind of do that. You could take each skill and say, okay, these three abilities make sense for it. So just put them in brackets and say you can use any of these abilities for that thing. I think that will help. And for God's sake, come up with something more for intelligence. It is so frequently the dump stat that I, as a DM, make a point of saying, don't dump intelligence. I'm going to get you on it. (laughs) I'm I'm just going to. I'm going to find a way to get you on it. Heck, the game I ran uh, the other night, I used a feeble line. And everybody was like, what? Oh, yeah, that's an intelligence save. And they're like, what? And then I dropped 78 plus 30 necrotic damage. Oof. Is what happens on a dump stat. I don't think I don't think many people are coming to my game with intelligence as a dump stat. Like, oh, I'll take a minus, I'll, I'll take an eight, I'll take a minus two to that. Nah, son, you don't want to so, do that. Look, so, <laughs> something's something has got to be the dump stat. Like, you cannot you can't have your eighteen plus three in every stat, right? Like, so, something has got to be the low man on the totem pole. And you know, in a game that is again, we talked about how diverse these these classes are. Where if you're a fighter, you know, gotta make sure you've got to have you've got strength. You're gonna be you're gonna be facing wizards. You're gonna have to be making checks, and dexterity is is most often the save that you're gonna have to be making. So you need dexterity. Lewanika, I know that you're throwing charisma up there i know that you're throwing wisdom up there and i know that you're throwing constitution up there too so at what point where does intelligence fit into the list like that's you know eventually you run out of eventually you run out of 18s you but the, you get this is that would go with balancing your team i mean everybody wants to have those token characters in their team they want to have their tank they want to have their dps they want to have their healer and if possible having you know their skill check or their rogue yeah. yep those are i mean you need the three so why not implement that into the system as well? And before we get too off of our subject here, I did want to count, uh, go back to your thing where you're talking about the feet trees and everything. What if they implemented that in the same way that they implement milestones versus experience as another option too? I thought that could see that working. Yep. I, so I think that that's actually a very interesting, uh, a very interesting point about milestone. The Witchlight book, while the debate between XP, like straight ex- experience points and milestone has kind of been raging in the community for a while, the Witchlight book was really the first time that I can remember Wizards of the Coast actually acknowledging like, hey, we're going to – because Witchlight, the, the campaign module in Witchlight is a milestone-leveled adventure module. It's not yeah, – And it's not by XP. Yeah, I, I can't by tell XP. you honestly the last time I used XP. I like using milestone. It's It just – and flows better. We're the same way. We, uh, at least I am like, we just don't. And even Josh's XP system, when we broke it down and talked about it, we came to the conclusion that he is effectively 
doing milestone by the way he manages XP. I think we all were. I think we all were as DMs. And so I say, in that case, toss out the math and just go with the milestone and be Absolutely. done with it. Okay. So, but here's my question before we before we get off this topic, though, Lou and Nico. So I'm not off. I'm going to be on because I got I got a. I got another option too, but go with yours. Go with yours. If we are proponents of the milestone leveling, mm. why is it so important to restructure the classes so that they get all their stuff, so that every class gets the same type of thing at the same level? So it's like, so every subclass gets a subclass ability at what, six and 10, 14 or whatever. I don't think they should. I don't think that they should either, but Lee Winiko said that they should. So that's why I'm drilling them. Yeah. Yeah. So my answer to that is, exclusively for this we all liked in theory the strixhaven concept mm -hmm. let's do a sub a, a, a subclass it's a block of subclasses that can work for a block of classes, classes. yeah mm. and because the class features come at different spots the subclass features are by definition at different spots therefore if you're using that block subclass strixhaven it doesn't work evenly upon each class. It doesn't necessarily have to be every class all at the same time, mm, but, okay. but martial classes should be at the same, at, at, the things happen at the same time. They can be different things, but they happen at the same time. Maybe the magic using classes happen at the same time. And then if there's a, if they decide to break into a third category, which they could, they could do that as well. So there could be that semi-martial class, whether that be, half casters or something and and so my thought is not because it has to be that way because it doesn't but if your goal is to bring in something that cover a subclass that covers everybody in that case in order to make that work well then you would have to backtrack and make those things match whether it be all at the same levels or in in group yeah and you also have to include like multi-classing then even looking at well case in point let's look at rogues how many different types of rogues there are or, or Eldritch Knight, which is a fighter, yet he uses magic. So, and so that's even though if you try to divide them up into the subcategories, I think it's a beautiful idea to be like, hey, nobody levels up or, you know, they get their stuff at different things, but they have to they have it this way because it's streamlined across the board and it's not as it, it's not complex. You don't have to overthink it as much as I like. I agree with you. Like, yes, it doesn't make sense that we all get our feats at a certain level uh, at the same level at level four. We get a feat. Well, here, here, here's the thing. 3.5 worked masterfully and everybody got feats at the same level. However, some classes had features that gave ad additional feats at various points. And I thought that that worked well. Everybody got an amount of feats. I love feats. I think they were. I thought they were great in in three in three and three point five. I think they're amazing in five. I've never played at a table that didn't allow feats, and I don't think I would choose to sit down at one unless it was for a very specific reason. I'm not even sure why they made that an optional rule. To be frank, in, in, because in a lot of people were burnt out on feat trees, and they were listening to the arguments and the dislike for it, and then they put it as an optional rule that almost every table used because. They just kept making really they, great they feeds. made it better. Yeah, they made it better. Yeah, yeah. As long as they keep making good feeds, it will not be optional. That's just the way it works. My thought and my counter to feet trees, however, is this. As opposed to feet trees, 
how about you level your feats? So let's say you have power attack, cleave, and great cleave, but it's one feat. And then you have it kick off by t- by character tier. Like Eldritch Blast and Agonizing no, in no, no, that no. concept? Not, not quite, because that's a little different with Warlocks. But I'm thinking, let's take the example that doesn't exist in 5e, power attack. Let's say if you take this feat at tier one, it's power attack. At tier two, it becomes cleave. At tier three, it becomes great cleave. It's one feat, and it automatically does those things. doesn't take another ASI, doesn't take another feat slot. It just improves as your character improves. Doesn't it already do that as you level up, though? Like at level, case in point, Dragon Breath. And you get it as you level up, it gets more powerful as you go. What's the difference between? But uh, for that example, that particular feat does, but not every feat does. And maybe not every feat has to. But if you had a block of feats that did, then you don't need feat trees because the feat itself improves through the trees. So anything that was a three feet, uh, a three feet feet tree or a four feet feet tree, if it's all built into one feet, then you have it. Also reduces the amount of space you have to put into a book page count, and it becomes very useful. Now, for the multi-classers, it won't matter because it's by character level. Your feats are by character level versus by class level, and I think that's a pretty impressive way to handle that. I mean, that's just my take. I don't ha- I don't think they're going to do that, but I think that would be a really good way to do it. If, if the idea is to give more feat options and bring in more without adding to feats, because at a certain point, we're going to get to so many feats that everybody's going to want to play a fighter because none of the other classes get enough feats. Feats were never, like, I do enjoy a couple feats. Like, so case in point with my paladin, I always take heavy armor master. Like, that is, like, just a a given for him. But I don't necessarily worry too much about having lots and lots of feats. I guess I've never, I play some fighters, but not nearly to the level I think that other people do. I am playing currently two fighters. One's a battle master. The other is a purple dragon. So I have my feats for the purple dragon planned out, but I actually changed my mind and went with a strictly RP flavored uh, feat uh, for fourth level, the chef feat, which is one of my absolute favorites. <laughs> that is great. such a crazy, I've never used it before until it so I, cool. I looked it up. It's so crazy. It is so cool. And I love it. Well, one, it's a half ASI, which is always a plus. I love that feature with feeds. And two, it's not a whole lot, but the RP is for days. Two of the characters I currently play, the fighter and then a warlock I play, both have it. And I do it entirely different ways. My fighter does it as it's tea. I got approval from my DM, thanks Josh, uh, to have it flavored for teas because that's part of his backstory. But he's still doing the treats and, and all that stuff that way. And it's just because I was doing it before I had the feet. But I'm like... Let's give it some some weight. Let's give it some mechanics beyond just the role play. And since it's something I'm constantly asking for the ability to do, let's do something with that. And that's why I went that route. It was also a good way to bring up my wisdom and not just the straight ASI to improve the character in ways beyond just giving myself some pluses. Because I'm not a fan of just taking the ASI. There's times I've done it. But the reality is I find that very anticlimactic from a narrative standpoint. I, I was plus one now. I, I get a plus one. At the end of the day, all you're doing is saying, I'm plus one better on I already do. That's the end of your level. That's what you did. 
that's what all that hard work was for, was just to get a 5% better chance of doing something. I mean, it's important from the mechanic standpoint. I don't find that nearly as important as, hey, I'm going to do this cool thing and I happen to get a plus one. And which brings me back, I want to circle back to a point you made about something has to be the dump stat. I don't think so. I tend to build my characters with point by, and I tend to leave uh, odd numbers. Because then when I get feats, I get all the feats that are partial ASIs, and I top them off. So by fourth, uh, seventh, or eighth, and then one more, I've, I've leveled up. But you the still other have thing to have is, a dump. You still have a dump some, to start off with. Something has to be the dump stat. You, you, it's, it's inevitable. Like, you're not going to make your intelligence your dump if you're a wizard or a sorcerer you're going to do like your strength it just doesn't make sense right so for me i don't care as much about having the 18 as i care about not having the nine so when i do point by the reason i do point by is because my lowest stats is 10 i rarely rarely go lower than 10 in some cases i even do 11 so when i take that asi that becomes a twelve. Now I now I understand why he rolled so bad when we're playing Alien. He's <laughs> he's he's cursing the dice gods, <laughs> uh, so they're they're making him pay for it now. He's like, I'm gonna do point by. I mean, those are pregens. He 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 had no control over. I, stats I had the no control over yeah. that. But I, I but I can tell you that is how I build my characters. If in jo- well, you have access to to D and D Beyond for no, the, I, for, I have no doubt. You, yeah, you've seen them. I re- I rarely have a stat less than ten. Like occasionally for a narrative reason, and generally when I'm building an NPC, there will be something less than that. But rarely is it less than ten, and often my dump stat is an eleven. From a from a D, uh, from a, a, a pl- RP point of view, because I'm saying everything in the world, I like having a dumb dump stat because I feel like it makes the character more realistic ish as I play my Dragonborn, psionic soul knife rogue. You know, <laughs> yes, there's the guy who has a gem dragonborn, uh, uh, cyanite, but yeah. yeah, it makes it, it makes it having a flaw helps you develop that character. I feel like from an RP point of view, a little bit better. Well, and we've talked about that too, Luminika, about how one thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to desperately try to bring the train of this episode back on the tracks that we've laid out. Oh no, no, no. Both of you did it to me. It's okay. I I got, I got mad love for both of you, but damn man, try desperately to go ahead and bring this train back onto the tracks. One thing that we have talked about that would be really nice is something that we have taken from our LARP days, Lou and Nico, with with a system of merits and flaws. And so rather than strictly just a system of feats, have the other side of the equation that allow you to build in flaws. So... Uh, your flaws don't have to be stat based, right? You could you could pick up, you know, and like examples of flaws are things like short or nearsighted or things like that. Things that you can that add narrative flavor to your characters. And there could be a system where it's like you know you can take up to two or three flaws, and for each flaw that you pick up. You either you get a you get a point in a you get uh you get a skill point to go ahead and spend or something like that. It would be something to go ahead and add that narrative negative that you're talking about, Steve, and satisfy what Liwanika is looking for, and that's more points to go ahead and spend in skills. And to be fair, I should add that I do have lots of flaws with my characters. I tend to do them through the flaws and bonds thing. There's a joke in there somewhere. 
so many. Yeah, I do think there's flaws and bonds versus the attributes. Like you brought up in our LARP days, every character I ever played in every LARP had the short flaw. Every one of them. And most of them had short-tempered. And I was like, if anybody recognized, all they had to do was look at me and use that against me. They would have won most of the combats I was in. Or even having a phobia. A phobia. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Not to sidetrack your sidetrack. Let me ask you guys this. We've been selfishly talking about the players. What do you think this is going to bring for the DM? So I think, uh, let me let me jump on this because th- this is, I, I, we don't know, obviously, but here's what I hope is in there for the DMs. And here, and and the, the precedent that I'm going to cite for this is sort of how DMs have been treated in the last several books. What I think any new reprints of the DM's guide need to include is sections on how to run particular types of games, right? It is something that the Candlekeep book did exemplarily about how to run a mystery. How what, what are the um, mechanics? Right. Well, Ravenloft tried to get into how to run a horror, and I don't it wasn't as good. The mystery one in Candlekeep was excellent. The how to run a horror stuff in, in Ravenloft was less it was less because it was it was very superficial. I think they needed to go into more depth, right? Okay. That's really what I hope that we see. Yeah, that's really what I hope that we see is that there is more of an emphasis on instructing people who are running games into being good DMs. Emphasizing things like it's not DMs versus players. It's, you know, think things like that. Emphasizing those sorts of concepts that make dms run better games i'd really like to see that i think that and i think that they can be constructed in such a way that it does that. what i would like to see for dms that i think would be very helpful especially for newer dms is a table or series of pages at the at the back of the book the dmg that list where by book various rules are if it is backwards compatible that means all of the other books are there they could simply say Okay, if you're looking for characters, or like you're okay, building characters, and then they can say the the races, and then just print the books that they're in, the page page numbers they're on, something like that at the back of the book, so it's easy reference because the library is so large, would be amazing at the time of that printing. You could simply update that uh, on some online resource so that DMs can go to that. When they're looking at questions, there's a lot of storytellers, while they are not beholden, nor should they feel beholden to, quote unquote, get it right, they want to. And they want to be able to do that quickly. And looking up a stat on a page by page number may not be all that long or difficult to do if there's a reference. But when it gets to, I don't know what book it is. And then I got to find what section it is. And then I got to find what page it is. And the table of contents don't always sound like what you're looking for, that's a challenge. So giving a re- a quick and easy reference guide for DMs would be an amazing way as your library goes. I, I feel like they already do that, though. I'm not going to lie. I feel like they do that on D&D Beyond. Because, so case in point, and, and I was going to bring this up, too, is when 5 came out, there were nine races. Not inclu- now, I'm not including subclasses or anything, yep. but there was nine races. As of this moment, right now, there are over 42 races. That's that's nuts. So 
but I can look up on D&D Beyond. I can look up each of those races. I can look up all their stats on there just by looking at that information. And you're not wrong, but I have a sense that with the coming of this new release in 2024, whatever the year-by-year contract or five-year contract or six-year contract, and I have no idea what it is with D&D Beyond is, it may not last beyond, much beyond this new evolution. I, I, I disagree. I get the sense that D&D is positioning themselves with other things to take that in-house in some fashion. And if they do that and they are not as robust or as user-friendly as D&D Beyond, and I say this as a guy who used e-tools versus other things, mm-hmm. they have not traditionally been good at making user-friendly. And that could have changed. That absolutely could have changed. But eTools is a great example of the, the, the little thing that they put out with 3.0. And they said, hey, this is the starter thing. eTools, when it comes out, is going to be so much better. And then eTools looked, when it was finally sold, like a beta version. And when 3.5 was done, eTools still looked like a freaking beta version. I think yeah. I, I, I definitely think they've done it. And here's, a, here's the other thing I'll say, too. We are a dying breed of DMs. We like our books. The newer, younger DMs, the newer, younger players, it's the convenience of having it in an electronic form and having the easy access and being able to grab all that stuff at the, it's on my iPad, it's on my phone. It's the apps aren't the best, but the website itself is phenomenal. Yeah, the apps are terrible for DMs. The apps are, but I'm also a guy that has used Warhammer 40k apps and I will go use Battlescribe because this third party system that is, you know, publicly domain public domain is far superior than anything that they put the thousands will hopefully it's not millions of dollars into those. I still play Palladium games and you have to use third party stuff that has already gotten issues because Palladium. Because in order to have digital use, you can't go to Palladium because yeah. they don't. But I and I agree with you. I just I worry about where they're going because of some of the back of the house decisions that we've seen. And I wonder where that leads. Am I right? And do I know? I have no special knowledge. I don't know. I just say that at some point that comes up for a contract. And at some point they're either going to want more money for what they're doing or D and D is not going to want to pay for what they're doing or as much. And if that happens, Whatever you have is there, but that means no new stuff. I am always in prep. For me, I, I am a dying breed, but I prep for that day. That's why I buy hard CDs and the digital copy. I only listen to the digital copy. I've got the last 20 CDs I've bought that are still in the plastic, but they're there because sooner or later there's going to be a day when the digital rights go away and I will still be able to listen to what I paid for far afield, but not that far afield. I would liken it to this way. There are great television shows that currently cannot be streamed simply because when the rights for the show put a song on that show, it did not include digital rights. Therefore, they cannot put that show on streaming. There, There's YouTube videos about the number of shows from the 80s and 90s that simply cannot be streamed, and it is not because they don't want to. It's not because they won't make money. It's because they were foolish enough and smart enough to put pop music in the, in the show, so now it can't be on there. 
and that happens today. If they're not, if you're listening to a show today or watch a television show today, and it has a popular radio song or a popular uh, YouTube song or not YouTube, but a popular iTunes song on it. If they didn't get the digital rights, that show will never be streamed. I wonder if that's going to happen to video games because Borderlands used Cage the Elephants, Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. Well, that's a digital thing, so probably already can. So it really depends on where it is. So, for instance, if you're watching a show that's a Netflix original, the streaming rights are already part of it. But if you're watching something on cable TV that was not part of Paramount Plus, but it's just on CBS, that may or may not be include those rights. And so it could be if that one episode never airs, but the rest of them do. Something to think about. And that's what I think about D&D Beyond. It's not part of the company. It's not in-house. At some point, if it goes away, I may have what I have when it's there, but I may not have it. So I buy all my books hard copy, and I buy them digitally. And my favorite medium happens to be D&D Beyond. They don't sponsor this channel. Hashtag call your boys TTJ. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Sponsor me. <laughs> that's, my that's my shameless shill. You know, they don't sponsor this channel, but it's a brilliant tool. As a guy who hated eTools, but fought with it because it was the best thing out there, I'm not fighting with D&D Beyond. There's a couple things I wish they'd do, i.e. bringing my, uh, my sidekicks and get me my patrons, my, my patrons. But aside from that, it's a fabulous tool. It works really well. I want to te play test the uh, character idea. I got it. Their encounter builder is freaking brilliant. I use the hell out of that thing. We should ask Josh what his opinion is. He hasn't talked a lot this episode. No, I've talked. I've talked plenty this episode. My my opinion is that is that I, that I'm with Lee Wanika. I think that Wizards of the Coast is going to bring D and D Beyond into the fold, uh, and then they're going to put out their own VTT because they're sick and tired of other people getting pieces of that pie. Now, doesn't correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Hasbro own them all all of that? So Hasbro would have to bring D and D Beyond into house first i think i think it? that they'll just cut dnd beyond out altogether and make their own and here's the thing dnd beyond though we talk about it as its own thing but the company that owns that particular channel it's just that it's a channel they actually do a similar thing for other games uh. so that's not the only thing they do that's just the only thing we're intimately familiar with mm. and buying into that does not get you access to the other ones so if you're not playing that other game and you don't go to them or whatever, you're not going to see that. So because of that, and I think some of their internal back of the house moves are around shoring up their other product lines so that if something negative happens with Wizards, they're prepared and their company still goes forward. And I think they're out there trying to make that happen right now. That's why they took resources away from UA. That's my guess. That's just my business head looking at a situation saying what makes logical sense. But I think what's coming up with in 2024 plays into all of that. I think that's that is the precursor to this. I think that led to some so, some suspect and supposition. I know Ted from Nerdarchy or I'm sorry, Ted from Nerd Immersion on YouTube is has been talking about this stuff for months, months. And he got very excited when the news came out because, I mean, he was jumping out of his chair. He's like, oh, I called it. Let's go. He was all in. Right. And that's and I don't think he's wrong. I like I flat agree with him. That's like why I, I'm quoting him right now, because I think he's right. I think these moves were to better position that company because they knew what was coming about 2024. Now that that's 
official, we'll got to wait and see. We'll see what the intention for D&D Beyond is in long before 2024 happens. I'm cautious now. Now I'm like, oh man, do I buy more books on D&D Beyond? And that's the thing. So yeah. here's, what I, here's what I think. I don't believe because we bought the product, they may not add anything, but why would they make it so it doesn't work? As long as what you have works, they might as well keep it. They may not be able to get new stuff. And I don't know how their contract is licensed, but as long as they have the license for it, you just keep it and just don't support it for new things. And 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 I think that's fine. I use, I use eTools today. Not I didn't use it today, but I use it to this day. I still have it on both of my computers because if and when I ever want to do a three point a three point five thing, I can go get it. And it, it saves it's a storehouse. So I don't have reams of paper for all of my 3.5 characters, which, by the way, I had taken the time to update all of my first edition, basic, and all those characters to 3.5 rules. So they're all in E-Tools. I think safe to say that the three of us have a lot of ideas on what may <laughs> or may not be coming uh, in the next few years. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, just awesome to have you uh, in-house tonight to go ahead and, uh, and help us break down this topic. Yeah, no, it's always fun to be on, and it's fun to bring out my tinfoil hat and throw out my conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we are seriously in, bl- in black, silent helicopter territory. <laughs> Absolutely right, yeah. Uh, we, are, we are all in on that. It was, it was nice to have you on uh, uh, and have uh, have Lou and Ika and I not throw uh, shots at each other like through you. We can just actually, like, you know, uh, uh, like we did when we were, when we were on, on your show. Uh, you know, not that, uh, not, 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 not that there were too many jabs uh, uh, to the uh, to the host that no, was not there. But, uh, no, um, no, no. <laughs> uh, go ahead and tell uh, the listeners on uh, Tabletop Journeys here how, uh, how they can find you because uh, Absolutely. Man, uh, Dead with yeah. Ambitions is awesome. So how do we find I appreciate you? Uh, you can find me anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, we're all, you know, always asking for anybody on Audible or Apple to, you know, rate and review us. Um, you can follow us at, you know, Instagram and Facebook at NerdDNAPod. Uh, we're on Twitter at NerdDNAPod. And uh, I occasionally I get on Twitch, but not very often. I try to do the streaming for nerd dna podcast i love my phasmophobia if you haven't played it i strongly strongly recommend it awesome well uh yeah so th- uh thank you again for for popping in here to go ahead and help us uh, help us break this down uh it was a very much a pleasure there's gonna be a lot more coming out uh soon about this i think uh i don't think that this is gonna be a band-aid they're not gonna dump it on us on 2024 it's gonna dribble out between now and then so uh uh you know there's gonna be a lot of news that comes out I think this is a first big burst. Five, six months from now, we're going to get another big burst. I think basically around the time of any release, we'll probably get more information. There'll probably be somebody who joins a team or leaves a team that makes the news that we'll hear about and we'll get more stuff to foam over and link back up and talk about. I mean, at the end of the day, we talked about what we know, which is actually quite little other than a date. And we (laughs) talked about what we want and hope for and threw out a bunch of ideas and then we threw out a bunch of conspiracy theories about what we might get yeah you know <laughs> yeah in the word know. evolution yeah evolution yeah. Uh, maybe they're uh, going to integrate pokemon oh there we go oh, is my are all my dragons going to evolve into a tiamat oh that'd be great make pokemon a D race mm-hmm. no <laughs> pokemon Give it time. by hasbro Yes. So. Oh, actually, it's, it it's wizards, I, I, Wiz, yeah. Wiz kids, and Wizard of the Coast. Yeah, yeah. They, I think oh somehow God, another they acquired. Them. See, well, well, they got Magic the Gathering in there. Why not? Let's have I have, I have just, I have figured oh. it out. 
No, no. <laughs> I figured it out. That's why they called it an evolution. See? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's the chopper. Oh, that's awesome. Wait a minute. And, and, and Pokemon is not owned by Hasbro. Pokemon's owned by Nintendo. But I thought, oh, they owe the Pokemon cards. Maybe they have a contract with them. Yeah, the IP. Oh, yeah, maybe. The, yeah, okay, that's true. Maybe they do the. In any case, uh, Steve, thank you very much again for, for popping on here. Uh, it was hey, awesome. Thank you awesome so to much. have you in here. All right, everyone listening, thank you very much. Please uh, leave your comments, leave your thoughts on what you think this uh, this comment about evolution coming to D&D means. Listen to the end of the show here and tell you how to c- catch us on Twitter. Uh, we want to hear your comments, want to hear your feedback, want to hear your thoughts. Uh, we love hearing from everybody out there listening. So hope to uh, hope to hear from you all soon. Yep. Send us those conspiracy theories. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Hashtag TTJ conspiracies. That's right. Yeah. So, all right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we'll collect them all on the end of the year. We'll, 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 we'll read through a bunch of them. That'll yeah, be we, fun. We, we've already got a bunch of end of year shows coming up here. So that'll be, uh, that'll be another one we can throw on the, on the stack here. So. Who knows? Maybe it could be our first Instagram or uh, Instagram stuff. So, yeah, and I've Just got read, gigabytes read, read of TTJ conspiracy theories. I, you I, guys I've, are coming I've, up on your anniversary too, right? We are. November 22nd. Is our is the anniversary of our first show? Well, actually, so, so actually, th- that depends. Uh, it depends on how you define our anniversary. If you define it on when the show actually went live, uh, it's November twenty second of twenty twenty. If you go on when we actually started promoting the show, that was November twenty seventh. It was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. October thirty first was my very first episode. Wow! Yeah, right. I wanted to get it out before November first. I wanted to get it. We launched the day of halloween our first episode so yeah no i'm excited too so excited for you guys oh my god (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you very much everybody for listening uh hope you enjoyed hashtag ttj conspiracies let's gather those up thank you very much have a good night thank you for joining us this has been tabletop journeys we would love to hear your feedback on our show today You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop-oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.